Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, trying something different this week on the podcast with sports kind of on an indefinite freeze right now. I want to try to figure out, you know, when these sports are coming back, what they're doing about trying to come back, and what are kind of the benchmarks that need to be met before sports comes back. I want to bring in uh, three of our writers that cover different sports. Stephanie Abstein does a great job uh, covering baseball. Alex Pruitt, of course, you read covering the NHL, among other things. And uh, the Periscope King himself, Albert Breer, uh, joins us. (laughs) From his uh, Periscope studio down there. Well, wow, that's for, that's uh, quite that's quite a title. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess Alex, why don't we start with you? Because you know, your the, the NHL kind of runs along a parallel track as as basketball. Like their seasons kind of uh, overlap uh, to a degree. I mean, what are you hearing out of the NHL as far as where they stand? What what their their plans are? What what's the latest there? I think they want as much as possible as soon as possible. And like, obviously this is all with the caveat that um, you need the proper testing and proper infrastructure and all that in place. But um, they're talking about even trying to move the draft up to early June. Uh, Memos have gone out from 
know, Commissioner Gary Bettman and Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly basically saying that this is the, the preferred preference um, of the league is to have the draft early. And obviously this opens up a whole can of worms with regards to, um, you know, conditional picks, stuff that was hooked to the playoffs. If you haven't finished the regular season or the, or the playoffs, then how, how can you do that? Um, but that's stuff that they have to go down, you know, the kind of minutia that I assume every league that um, was in season across the world is going to have to go through if they decide to, to restart again, ultimately. Um, but, you know, G- Gary Bettman said on record that um, they're looking at a, a December start to next season, um, which if you do the math means that they could be playing into September and October. So um, I think July and August is kind of the hope. And um, their current hope is that they bring players back to facilities starting pretty soon. Um, I think mid to the late May is kind of the goal right now to move into what they're calling phase two um, of their reboot, I guess. Um, but, Again, once you have that, you know, if, if players are coming back to facilities and in cities and um, players are still in self-quarantine or self-isolation in other cities and can't go back to the gym, then um, do you allow certain teams to skate, especially in a sport like hockey where, you know, ice time is, is so valuable and so rare, um, especially right now with everybody at home, um, create a big competitive balance, imbalance there. So um, a lot to work through, I guess. Um, I'm sure some over the NBA, but. Um, as of right now, like you said, just indefinite freeze, but, um, you know, all sorts of travel balloons are being floated in the air for sure. What do you think Alex is, I mean, with the NBA, it's like every time I talk to people in the league office or or ownership guys, it's like testing, you know, you, you've got to have testing available at, at a mass level, um, you know, to the point where, you know, maybe you don't, you can't actually do this, but it's close to going into a CVS or ordering off Amazon, a test like that. They're just, they're not going to be the guys that order up all these tests while, you know, inner city Detroit is still looking for them. What, what sense do you get about the benchmarks that the NHL has got to hit before they can uh, think about coming back? Yeah. And, and I think unlike the NBA, they've been pretty strict from the start on not testing asymptomatic players. That's been kind of a league mandate from the top. Um, I've said, correct if I'm wrong with the NBA said no recently that they're not going to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously if you bring everybody back, whether it's at central sites or you're having actually the, the normal home road balance and when travel and stuff, you need to test everybody. Um, so if that isn't available, um, for the general population, I don't think the NHL is going to want to, to come back. Um, you know, I look at, for instance, like the Chinese basketball association, you know, they've had kind of fits and starts lately over the past couple of months. And, um, they had a certain plan in place where they were going to bring everybody to two central sites and everybody was going to have to get tested multiple times and stay in the same hotel. And, you know, this is all stuff we're hearing about, um, whether it's Arizona for baseball or uh, Disney World or Las Vegas for the NBA or um, in the NHL, they're talking about going to some central sites. Um, you know, teams are basically applying to and bidding um, for the rights to, to hold these kind of quarantine games. Um, but in order to do that, like you said, yeah, you have to have the baseline testing in place. You have to have the point of contact testing um, where they can get rapid results. And I think you need to be able to do that throughout the time you're in that bubble, too, because, um, you know, if, if another Rudy Gobert situation happens, then the whole thing probably shuts down. Yeah, the the NBA. I thought for a while like going to Las Vegas was a lock, but that that batshit crazy interview Carolyn Goodman did that that resonated <laughs> with a lot of people in in the league office. I think they might they might have cost themselves something, uh, even though she doesn't run the strip, right? Exactly. She can't she can't open so much as a food court in the Tropicana, much less <laughs> like actually open an arena down there. I mean, it's just. I think they just, you know, they just didn't like the optics of her saying, like, let's just throw the doors open. And, and that's where the NBA decides to go rewarding that type of, of behavior. Uh, Stephanie, you've got baseball sitting out there. You know, their opening day was scheduled to be over a month ago. Uh, where do they stand with all this? What kind of situation are they in? Baseball's in a tough spot because the season, they're, they're in a weird um, 
physical spot. A lot of these guys, it was pretty close to the end of spring training. So a lot of these guys were pretty ramped up pitchers, especially they were basically ready to go. And now the players are all trying to figure out whether you try to stay at that level of fitness, whether you try to come back down. I mean, they're, you're going to see, I think, arm injuries if they don't come to a decision pretty soon. But I, candidly, I think the, the stuff that we've heard from baseball officials is insane. I mean, there's, they say they want to play in June. While there are spring training, they will need at least three or four weeks of spring training. And three or four weeks before June is May. And it doesn't look – not only, I mean, you have to be able to start spring training at that point. You have to be able to get guys to that place. They have to begin their quarantines two weeks ahead of that. The math just doesn't work. I think that it's, I think baseball is, is being wildly optimistic right now um, and sort of out of touch with reality, to be honest. When you hear things like, or people like Scott Boris coming out, who's a power broker in baseball, when he, when he starts to n- try to nudge it in a direction, you think that resonates with anybody or is that just, you know, an agent talking? Well, I think it's important to remember what everybody's motivation is here. Agents are not going to get paid this year if they don't play. So um, Scott Boris is not poor, but certainly agents, it's in, an, it's in an agent's best interest to have their players pl- play the season and so get paid. Similarly, for a lot of players, it's in their best interest to play the season and get paid. I think you'd be surprised how many of these guys, since they only get paid during the season, are not actually, despite these multi-million dollar contracts, do not actually have the cash to get themselves through a year without their contracts. It makes sense for most teams to try to play because they want the money from the TV contracts. So everybody is definitely incentivized to try to make it work and to talk about it like it's going to happen. But I just, you can't do it until there is the kind of testing that you guys were talking about. It has to be everyone who wants one can get one every day. They would have to test, at worst, you have to test every baseball player two or three times a week if they're on this bubble quarantine. And then that doesn't even begin to account for not only the baseball players, but you have all the coaches you have all the, the trainers and support staff. You're not going to bring in fewer trainers during a time like this. And then if they're in hotels, you have all of the hotel staff and all of the food service workers. If they are going to go, if they have scrapped the Arizona plan and they'd like to go back to home ballparks, then you have all of the stadium attendants there. And you have the fact that they're going to and from their houses, which means they probably need to get tested more often. I mean, you'd have to have truly ubiquitous testing. And it doesn't seem like we're two weeks away from that, which means that we're not two weeks away from beginning spring training, which means we're not three weeks away from beating the season. Do you think there's any kind of plan, Stephanie, that has legs within baseball, like the idea of quarantining in Arizona or, uh, you know, just limiting the travel and stuff? Because I think that's a big part of, especially with baseball. I mean, I I just don't see, I don't see a time in the next few months where it's just going to be normal that you're traveling back and forth between certain cities. Like you're not going to land in JFK for, a series with the Mets or Yankees it, it just as easily as you used to be able to. Yeah. I talked to um, a bunch of epidemiologists for a story about when sports was going to come back a couple of weeks ago. And they, they said that actually to them, private air travel is not as big a deal as it would seem because you can, if they're not going through airports, you can essentially make a private jet into a bus. It's no more dangerous than a bus. If you have, if they're not going through, uh, civilization really if the plan is sanitized the travel the air travel itself they said was not that much of an issue of course if they have to go through airports then all bets are off because then that becomes too big a group of people but I think the I can understand why everybody would prefer to play at their home stadium I think the Arizona plan of all the plans the plan to keep everybody in one place is the most makes the most logistical sense but is also the least likely to get the buy-in from players who don't want to be away from their families or 
who don't want to bring their families and force their families to live in a hotel room for four and a half months while they play the season. Yeah. Breer, you're, I mean, you've just been like business as usual for like the last damn month. It's just like <laughs> you're writing like John Lynch's, you know, draft philosophy. I mean, I think we had the, I mean, we had the first real NFL adjustment, I think, in the last couple of days when the international games were scrapped. Um, what are you hearing out of the NFL office? Because they don't really have to do anything necessarily until, you know, July when, when these training camps start rolling along. Yeah, I mean, like everything else, and it feels like covering the NFL for 15 years, it's like they can fall off a 20-foot, 20-story building and it's right onto a bed of roses. You know, it's just over and over and over again. These things tend to benefit them. And this is the way this has worked out for them too, where they can watch everybody else. They can watch people succeed. They can watch people fail. They can watch everyone else, every other league, how they handle this over the next few months. And they can sort of set up their plan accordingly. Now, the big thing that's on the horizon now is going to be on Thursday night, the schedule is going to be released. And um, I'd expect that you're going to be able to see some things in the schedule that will at the very least address this. And one of the things that's kind of come up is how the schedule could be collapsible, where they could easily go from 16 games to 14 games, from 14 games to 12 games by pulling interconference games out. And so like, say if they were to go to 12 games, it might look like baseball used to look where the American league and the national league didn't play until the world series. So I think there's going to be collapsible elements to the schedule. The other thing that, you know, I know has been discussed is the idea of backloading games in hotspots. And so, you know, maybe there are fewer home games for the Jets and Giants and, say, the Rams and the Chargers earlier in the schedule. So those are backloaded. Maybe they backload the national television games to allow themselves a better chance to have those played in front of fans. You know, whether it's Chiefs-Ravens, say, or, or the Buccaneers playing the Saints with Tom Brady in Tampa now. Like, I think there are going to be things in the schedule that absolutely do address, um, you know, what – we're all facing now publicly they've acted as if nothing's going on. And, and the reason why is purely about money. Um, they know that they have to, when they speak publicly, they're not addressing me and you, they're addressing sponsors, they're addressing partners, they're addressing advertisers and they know how much is at stake there. And so that's sort of, you know, the league's run, the, the, the league is, is run on a premise agreed, you know, and it's, it's how much money they can make. And, and and they're very cognizant of the way everything that they everything that every the way everything that they say is digested and you know their audience you know primarily is is those people and so they've tried to kind of send the message out there that you know when we're eventually going to get back to a place where everything's normal again and when we get there everybody's going to want football and we're because of that we're going to be where you want to invest and so yeah. that's been their message. I think that'll continue to be their message. But I think the schedule is really the first place where we're going to see how they're addressing the, 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 what's in front of all of us with contingency plans and that sort of stuff. When you talk to people within the NFL, is there, I mean, did they kind of wrap their heads around the idea that, you know, September, October, you may not have fans in these states? Because it's one thing yeah. to say, like, all right, baseball is playing without fans. I mean, Look, not every place is right. Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park. I mean, a lot of times baseball, you know, venues are, are pretty bare. Mm -hmm. But football venues, I mean, that's a significant amount of revenue they'll lose every single week. Yeah, and, you, you know, it's interesting because they're probably the least affected because they're more dependent on television um, than the other sports are. Uh, I've heard owners refer to NFL, fan, like the, the fans in the stands, 
as the studio audience before. That's the way they look at it. Um, there's that much money in television in football, you know, versus the money they make at the gate. That said, like the estimate I got from a couple teams over the weekend is that they make about a hundred million dollars in local local revenue from suite holders, season ticket holders, all of that sort of stuff, the in stadium stuff. And so, you know, you start to look at that, and that's where the trickle down becomes real for everyone. So if you're taking a hundred million dollars out per team. Well, then that's going to be $48 million off the salary cap, right? So that not only affects the owners, now that affects the players. And how this could affect the players, well, you're probably not going to take $48 million off of next year's cap. I don't think that'll happen. What they'll do is they'll start borrowing from future years. And so now players in the future are going to start to feel that where there was going to be a spike in a couple of years because of the new television deals. Maybe that's not going to be there anymore because they're going to have to borrow from future years to make sure the cap at least is flat in 2021. So the effects of that are definitely something that is being considered by the NFL. And because of that, you know, I, I asked a couple of team presidents over the weekend, I said, would you rather start on September 1st on time without fans in the stands or November 1st with fans? And they said, without question, we would rather start November 1st with fans and move the Super Bowl back. And to that end, and I didn't know this, Chris, before I, I actually asked the question. Um, as part of the bidding process, every Super Bowl city actually has to clear extra dates. So the NFL has the flexibility to move the game. So I thought it'd be really hard to move the Super Bowl because of all the convention space and the hotel space that you need to run a game like that. But the truth is that the NFL is already sort of in front of that. And so it wouldn't surprise me if, they, if it comes to that, if they got to make that decision if they move the season back because they feel like they're in a better spot to start with fans in October or November. Yeah. And speaking of fans, Alex fans in the stands for the NHL is probably the most consequential of the sports. I mean, they don't have the, the television deal that, that other sports have. They rely pretty heavily right on the, on the live gate for, for their overall revenue. I mean, how, I mean, how anxious do you think NHL people are about the idea that, you know, it could be a while before one of their primary sources of revenue is, is, is back and running. Yeah, so I think they're on the opposite end of the spectrum, right, from the NFL um, in that they are so dependent on gates um, that their revenue and that their cap is so tied to, to gate receipts. And that's why there's going to be so many implications, I think, down the line with regards to, like, escrow, with regards to the salary cap. Um, the CBA is supposed to be up after next year, and I, I think that they would want labor peace, especially amid a global pandemic. Um, is there something that they can work through in that regard? So. Um, yeah, I guess on the one hand, you have people who are probably itching to get fans back in the stands, but, um, on the other hand, you can, you almost have the flexibility, I guess, to wait it out that you don't have the same, you know, pressure coming down upon you from the TV and the, and the sponsorship side, I guess that you would maybe in other leagues. Um, and maybe that's, that's reflected in how open that they've been about saying that they'll, they'll push it all the way back to December, the start of next season, if they have to, um, it does seem like though, that they really want to get games in that even if it is a condensed schedule, um, even if they send, you know, the bottom, however many teams in the lottery packing and, um, open up the playoff field, if they play a short, you know, exhibition season and they get right into the playoffs, it, it sounds like all those things are still on the table, but, um, I guess it is pretty important at some point to get fans back in the stands, whether that's in the playoffs or later, but, um, or next season, I guess, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the bubble concept, uh, for, for hockey specifically kind of intrigues me. Um, I mean, if coronavirus is, is, uh, it's a, it's a cold weather illness, right? Mm. Um, what does that mean for being inside a hockey rink? What does that mean if you're going to quarantine a, a ton of people inside, um, you know, a rink inside our, one hotel, all the support staff, people that it takes, 
um, kind of like Stephanie was talking about for baseball, you need people to, to maintain the ice. You need people to run the, you know, run the scoreboards and um, do all the stats and stuff. Um, you know, the, the tabulation, when you start to add up all the people, the back of house people is kind of staggering that um, regardless of whether or not you can put fans in the stands, it seems like just having this kind of bubble scenario all, all together um, brings it to a level of risk that they're not willing to take at least for the next couple of months. You think that they, I mean, do you think the NHL would, would prefer to wait to see what like the NBA does? I mean, the NBA, and you know this, the, the NBA has got like this like superiority complex when it comes to the NHL. Maybe it's because Gary Bettman runs the NHL and he used to work at the NBA, but like they, they think that everybody's going to follow their lead, that what they do and then the NHL will probably follow right behind. Do you think the NHL is, they, they want to be first on this or would they like to kind of see which way the wind blows before they jump back in? It's a good question. It's it's hard to say like that optics wouldn't be at least a, a small factor, right? That they weren't aware, for instance, of um, the backlash that some teams got for testing asymptomatic players. I'm, I don't think that that, for instance, like factored, factored into their calculus to um, tell their teams to not do the same thing. But um, it was obviously on the table and it obviously plays in their minds. So um, yeah, on the one hand, I could see a scenario in which they would want prefer to kind of let the, the NBA be the first to, to tiptoe back in the waters in that regard. But um, at the same time, they're, they're, I assume they're not only just looking at, you know, the NBA, but the Chinese Basketball Association, the Bundesliga, um, how they've mass tested players amid the kind of relaxed government regulations in Germany and um, Taiwanese and Korean baseball that um, pretty much every league at this point that prop, that kind of pops up and, and starts returning to like some semblance of normalcy. Um, if you're running another sports league, I feel like you kind of have to look at them and, and feel like, you know, what, what can we take from there or, or what can we avoid um, when, it com- when it comes our turn? There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Do you get the sense, too, that, like, I mean, you mentioned the, the end of the season. Like, does the NHL in an ideal world want to finish their regular season? Because, like, the NBA, for some reason, does. Like, I can't imagine like dusting off Vince Carter, like for five more games after right. a three week training camp. Like it just like some of these guys and Steve Curry even said it, Steve Curry's like, we're, we're done. Like we, we suck. We got 15 wins. Our season's over. Like we're not going through a three week training camp to come back to play like Atlanta in the middle of June. <laughs> like that doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I guess there there's TV ramifications. I mean, what's the NHL's position on that? Yeah, that's I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think everything's on the table. Um, they could, you know, tell the bottom lottery teams to just pack it up and go home and, um, you know, cut off the regular season at, you know, 60 games or whatever. And that's how you do the the draft order. And that's how you see the playoffs. Um, like I said, I think it's, um, it's a possibility that they actually expand the team, the playoff field to, you know, say 24 teams or something. Um, I think it's possible that they play, a, you know, a small exhibition season um, because it is so important, kind of like in baseball that you need to get uh, you can get, get your skating legs under you. I mean, these guys haven't been on the ice for, for months at this point. Um, I feel like it's going to, they're going to at least, um, PA will collectively bargain and try to demand a, a decent lead up in time. So, um, sorry, I kind of lost myself there. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to see some, like, I mean, you can probably hide it better in the NHL, but there's going to be like a Sean Kemp in the NBA that comes around. Like there's going to be somebody that's been just eating nachos for three months and is going to come back in like a former high off guard when they start back up. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's going to there'll be some, there'll be some sloppy, sloppy basketball out there. Uh, Stephanie, I mean, you know, baseball is interesting because they, I mean, this thing all stopped just right after spring training uh, started once again. I mean, how concerned do you feel like baseball is going to be about injuries and conditioning? And I mean, they're going to have to go through like another full spring training before, you know, they can think about going again. Yeah. I think that's a real concern more for the pitchers and the hitters. The sort of joke about spring training is that the the hitters are just there to help the pitchers out, but the hitters could be ready after a week, but the pitchers need longer. So somebody's got to stand there. Um, I think a lot of teams, it will be interesting to see, I think different injury levels on different teams because a lot of teams are approaching this period differently. Some of them have told their guys to sort of dial back and go back to it as if it's the off season, you know, stop throwing quite so much. Some teams are saying it, you know, it could be any day now you should keep, keep in game shape. And so that, I think it will be very interesting to see what we get out of that. I also think um, depending on what they do with the season, I think that will have an effect because if it's not, these guys play for the World Series, right? And if it's not going to be a World Series that anyone's going to take seriously, I think if you – I've already had agents tell me, you know, if they have guys who get injured halfway through the season whose arms hurt a little bit, they'll tell them to shut it down because there's no point in sacrificing your – potentially sacrificing your career to win a World Series that's always going to have an asterisk on it. 
you might as well, especially if you're in line to sign a big deal down the road, just shut it down in August and see what happens next year. So I think, I think that will be a concern. Um, I think there will be a lot of depth issues because more so in baseball than any other sport, they really make use of their minor league system. And in this case, they, there's no way the minor leagues can play this year because they really can't afford to do empty stadiums. They're, I mean, they really are, are small businesses and a lot of them are struggling. So essentially, if you're going to do this, you have to have probably 10 or 15 players on a taxi squad who are somehow training alongside your, your big league team. And then, you know, four of your pitchers get injured on one day, those guys come up. But that is a very, that's much less depth than a lot of teams would have during the season. So I think you'd have to see um, a different looking injured list, something to allow for extra time off, maybe an expanded roster so that starting pitchers could go four or five innings and that's it. We don't ask them to overextend themselves, especially if they're going to try to get as many games in as possible. So they're talking about maybe playing eight games a week, you know, a doubleheader once a week. That's a lot of work on pitchers' arms. I think, I think it's going to look, no matter what they end up with, I think it's going to look very different in terms of uh, pitcher performance in an attempt to keep these guys healthy. Let me ask all three of this, and Stephanie, I'll, I'll start with you there. The, we're seeing states reopen now um, on a limited basis. The NBA has decided that uh, team facilities in those states can reopen and, and players can show up. And I get the logic behind it. Like, you know, if you're in Atlanta, you don't want to see Trey Young in an Equinox. Like, you don't know who he's working out with. You want to, you'd rather see him, uh, you know, in a team facility under a structured setup. I mean, I, I get that there's a there's a safety issue to, to all that. What, what's baseball's position on that? In, in some of these states that are seeing things open up a little bit, do they want guys in team facilities? Do they want them uh, working out at home? What's their, their mindset? There, has, there had been a push initially. Uh, they had them still in team facilities. There are actually a lot of guys who are still in Phoenix and in Florida because the facilities stayed open for a while. Um, and so players thought they should stay down there because they didn't know how long it would last but then they all shut down. Um, a lot of them have since been become like testing sites and hospitals and medical facilities. Um, so I think it's hard to know exactly what the plan is going forward. I think they're trying to be cautious here. Um, there has been, they have, they're definitely paying attention to the regional differences. There has been some hope the whole way that areas that are not hotspots could potentially reopen earlier. Maybe you play a lot more games in those places. Um, of course, places that are not hotspots today could become hotspots tomorrow. But at the moment, they are hopeful that maybe they could figure out a way to put all of the to, – to allow teams to work out in states where they're allowed to have states and cities. Albert, what's, uh, what's football's mindset in all this? They're just kind of getting going. They're yeah. in the middle of their offseason right now. I mean, the only thing I know about it at this point is, like, Brady gets kicked out of, like, a park in Tampa. <laughs> yep. Uh, what, what's, what's football's position on all this? Yeah, I mean, like, to, to some degree, they, they, they had a little bit – of something like this in 2011 during the lockout. And so like they, a lot of the players then sort of learned how to, how to do a lot of this on their own to begin with. And because there are sort of, there are strict rules around what they can, can and can't do in the off season and players have mandatory three months off to start the off season, at least the ones that don't make the playoffs. A lot of these guys have an idea of how to function on their own um, before they get into the off season programs, which typically start in April. Um, those guys are going into their off-season programs now. Some of them are doing virtual training programs where strength coaches are literally on things like this, like on Zoom, um, kind of taking them through certain things. They'll get into the point of the off-season where they actually have practices <clears throat> here in a few weeks. Um, I think the hard thing for football players is so much of it's based on strength and, and strength training. And so you actually, you know, you need 
a lot of equipment to do that. So part of what they did in their agreement with the union, they allowed teams to buy each player up to $1,500 worth of weight equipment to be shipped to their house. Now, I don't know that that gets you very much, but it at least can be a starting point for you. Um, you know, I, I think that this is going to be interesting. It's like you said with the Sean Kemp thing. There are definitely going to be some Albert Hainsworths out there that, uh, that are going to show up and, you know, not be able to pass their conditioning test in July and August. And so, you know, you hear a lot of coaches talking about and GMs talking about, you know, winning the circumstances now. And so it's really going to be like a lot of it's going to be on the discipline of the individual players to keep themselves in shape and to get creative. And so a lot of that's sort of at this point for football players kind of, all right, like how do you get creative about your strength training? And then once they get to training camp, it's going to be interesting too, because if you do, even if you do have a full training camp in the new CBA, they've cut the amount of allowable padded practices down from 28 to 16. So you're already working from sort of behind to begin with. So all these teams are going to have to be really, really creative as far as getting themselves ready to go. And again, for some of the coaches, you know, guys that were around in 2011, how they handle it during the lockout gives them at least something of a template there. Yeah, Alex, you mentioned that, you know, they'd like to get, you know, some kind of training camp back up and running again. In the interim, are they, is the NHL talking about, you know, letting these guys kind of do their thing in some of these cities? Yeah, they have I guess what they're calling like a four phase plan, you know, working from the current self quarantine all the way up to actually having games again. Um, phase two would basically be bringing guys back to the facility now because the NHL is such an international league. A lot of players have, have gone home to Europe. They've gone home um, to, to wherever, you know, wherever they lived around the world and um, crossing the border, depending on where they're going is going to be an issue. You know, Justin Trudeau in Canada, for instance, said that players going back uh, to their Canadian cities are going to have to follow Canadian government quarantine rules, which right now means, you know, locking yourself away for a good little while. And um, presumably before you go back getting tested, uh, depending on what you know, protocols in place from the NHL. Um, but, you know, as of now, guys, you know, Albert, you said creative, that's kind of the operative word. Um, I keep going back to the fact that there's no ice available that, yeah. you know, if public rinks aren't open, you know, how, how can you really skate depending on, especially um, the further South you live. Right. So, you know, guys are, getting in line skates or roller blades or, um, you know, dry ice at, at their house. But, um, you know, as a spectator, it, every spring, it's really jarring to me to see kind of how the physicality and intensity ramps up between um, the regular season and the playoffs. It becomes very clear that like players are coasting at times um, because, it, you know, hockey is such a physically demanding sport. If you go all out for 50 second shifts, that's, that's all you're really physically capable and like advised to do. Um, so I imagine, yeah, that they're going to, the players especially are really going to want a, a decent bit of lead up time to have time on the ice, to be able to lift, to be able to be, um, you know, under the supervision, direct supervision of their strength and conditioning coaches and their trainers to make sure that their bodies are right. Because once they go back, um, especially depending on how quickly they rush right into the playoffs, um, that could be a potentially dangerous situation just given what that scenario brings out in guys physically. Yeah, you get Chris, the sense one thing I, yeah, go ahead. One thing, one thing I'd add to, like, this is like you mentioned how like, you know, certain teams in other sports are going to be able to open up gradually. That's why I think it's like highly unlikely that we see NFL players returning to their home facilities until at least the start of training camp, if training camp starts on time. Because the NFL is really sort of like, because they can right now has been very much like, we're not going to open any facilities until we can open all facilities and they're in 22 different states new york's one of them new jersey's one of them massachusetts is one of them california is one of them and so until 
like those teams that are in the States with the strictest rules are able to open even the teams in say a Kansas city or a Dallas or, you know, in Atlanta, like those, even, even teams in those cities won't be able to open. And the NFL has got the flexibility to do that now because they don't have to worry about playing games in June or July. You'd be surprised though, Albert, like the NBA tried that bullshit too, like a month and a half ago where they're like, yeah, everybody's going to open or nobody's going to be able to go there. And here we are, <laughs> you know, in, in May where it's like, all right, you guys in Atlanta and Oklahoma city, head on, head on to your gyms, whatever you, uh, whatever things are, are kosher. So I'd be interested if they hold that line, if things are still uh, bad, you yeah. know, come the end of June. Uh, Alex, I want to just follow up because something you mentioned about, you know, going over to Canada and coming back NHL, there's a lot of I mean, a huge international flavor. Players from all over the world. Um, is there any? Have you heard any concern about you know the NHL restarting and maybe guys just from prominent teams, international players, like not being able to to get back over and participate? Yeah, I'm sure that's a concern, um, and it's a concern that's like way above their their pay grade and decision making ability as as like a sports league, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of beholden to the governments and. Um, because yeah, they're, they're players from all over the world. Um, I would imagine that there would be some issues or at the very least you have to make sure that, um, yeah, they're free to travel. That's something you have to wait on before you can actually bring guys back. Or, um, for instance, if guys start coming back from certain, from certain countries, then, um, do you restrict certain teams abilities to open up their facilities depending on which teams have more guys back or not? Um, I'm not sure if it's a kind of like a binary thing, you know, you either have everyone there and you're allowed to open up or not, but. Um, they're going to have to establish some sort of threshold depending on what's going on. Yeah. With, with larger travel bans. Yeah. That'll be interesting. All right. Let me finish with this guys. Uh, because I hate when people ask me to make predictions, I'm going to ask you guys to make predictions uh, just because um, the, you know, the, the, I, I think the NBA is going to do something. I think they'll play. There's too many owners that are just obsessed with getting that money back and, and, and not having to deal with all the broadcast responsibilities that come with it. If they cancel the entire season and the make good. So I think the NBA comes back sometime in mid to late July and plays till right around Labor Day, then starts their season at Christmas, which by the way, I think they should do anyway. Cause I never, I never really understood this whole theory of like, you can't play basketball in the summer, like summer basketball will draw bad rating. It's a chicken and the egg thing. The reason that there's bad ratings for television in the summertime is because people put crap on television. Like that's, <laughs> that's basically what it is. So I think summer basketball could, could turn out to be a great thing. And I know reporters out there hate that when I bring that up, but like <laughs> I, sometimes I think media members have this idea of like what their summers actually look like versus what they wish it looked like. Like they wish it was like a scene out of, you know, American pie, but it really it's more like sitting on your couch, you know, playing video games the entire time. Like that, that to me is what it's more reality with some media members and their, uh, their summertime. But I think it comes back in July and we actually at the beginning of, summer basketball in the NBA start a little bit early. Stephanie, what do you think about, because baseball's, you know, just supposed to be getting started. How does their season play out? I think they will start. I think they will try to play. Um, I don't think it will be in June. Uh, I think you're look. I think even July would be optimistic. I would, I would imagine that they start playing in August and I would not be surprised if they are unable to finish the season because so far we don't have a better solution for a positive test than shutting the thing down for two weeks. So I could see, I could definitely see a scenario in which they start playing, uh, but they, they, they either, they at least have to take a two week break. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. As much as anything, you need to have a therapeutic or something. You can't just, you know, go back to the Gobert situation where you shut it down if somebody tests positive. Albert, do you see any disruption at the NHL, at the NFL season? Obviously, still 
a long way yeah. away for them to go. But what's your prediction there? I, I think it's going to be dependent on what happens in the three sports you guys cover. <laughs> like, to be honest with you, I, I think it's going to be like really going to, they're going to, they've got the chance to take a look at what all of that looks like, what happens overseas and the, and the European soccer leagues. And so I, I think like a lot of it's going to be dependent on what happens in all the other sports. They won't admit to, um, to being dependent on that, but I think they will be, I think they'll be closely watching what happens there. And you know, one thing you constantly hear is that they, and a lot of people at the league level talk about this, how they want to sync up with the college season. Well, what I've heard about the college season is they potentially could start October 1st, eliminate their non-conference schedules, just play, you know, the whatever, eight, nine games in conference, and then go into an expanded playoff. Uh, if the college season gets moved back to October 1st, it wouldn't surprise me if the NFL did the same thing um, because so many of their events are tied to the college season. Combine, draft, a lot of their off-season events that are so important to the league office are tied to, to, to the college football season. And so – um, I think they try to start on time, and I think if another league, whichever one of them it is, has success with fans in the stands, they absolutely will start on time. My guess is that won't be perfect, and so I think there's a decent chance that they move the start of the season back to October, um, the beginning of October, and then play the Super Bowl at the beginning of March. Alex, let me ask you t- two parts of that question. One is how do you see it play out, but also if, if the NHL pushes their schedule back – do you see them, you know, running a shorter schedule for the rest of next season, or do they try to do what the NBA is probably going to be willing to do and do a full 82 that stretches into the summer of 2021? It's a good question. I'm not sure. I assume both are on the table. I mean, the NHL really loves awarding its trophy. Uh, <laughs> they love their Stanley Cup. Um, I mean, the only time the, they, they've started a season and haven't actually awarded it was when the, the flu came in 1918, so – um, I think they're going to try to do everything they can to, to squeeze two playoffs into that time window. I, I think it would be, I think you could probably push it back and have a, a shortened off season, not only this year, but next year and get away with that. Um, the question then it becomes, you know, is it hooked to some sort of like extension on the CBA? And if so, what are the terms there? And, um, you know, if the players are going to get asked to, to rush back twice, um, you know, once within a bridge training camp coming here uh, in the shortened season due to the coronavirus, and then whatever happens next year, if it gets pushed back like that, um, what are they going to ask for in return? It's interesting. The players have a little bit of leverage here for the first time. Do they do like in your sports, do they have like fake trophies then if they like, like if baseball doesn't start till August or basketball just has like a tournament or hockey just has a tournament, like. They're like fake trophies, like not the real ones, not the real I Stanley just, Cup or the real Larry O'Brien. I just want like – I want like the Lakers to win the championship and spend the next four decades of my life debating if LeBron really won a fourth championship. Like that will like, – Yeah. First take 20 – first take in 2050 is like, is, does LeBron have three and a half or four titles? It's like – it's like Stephen A. Smith still doing it versus like the 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 child of Skip Bayless like yeah. debating you know, <laughs> is LeBron really a four time NBA champion? Uh, guys, I really appreciate it. Thanks for your uh, your insight on this, and uh, it was great. Thanks for joining me. Awesome, thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. 